I actually wish I was here to hear them, um, but uh, that should be uh, a time uh, blessing. And um, when I come back, um, I'll be doing the Lord's Supper from Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I'm only focusing on a couple verses, but I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Hebrews chapter 10. It's our time in the Word, so listen to the Word of God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. This is Christ speaking to God. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Writer of Hebrews says, Now when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. You get the argument he's making. Continuous sacrifices. They weren't effective, but something has changed in the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Lord, we come into this place with burdens, with distractions. We come into this place, O oh God, gathered together as your people, hounded by sins, hounded maybe by our past, under the weight and burden and guilt and shame of sins. We pray now, Lord God, that we would be liberated by the truth of the gospel of your Son and what he has done for us. Because, well, at the end of the day, it is not what we do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. May we rest in that. May we be convicted and convinced of the power of the gospel and leave differently than we came in, in Christ's name, amen. 
Well, when I was uh, a teenager, I struggled with acne really, really bad. And uh, uh, sometimes I have to remind myself and kind of, you know, it's, it's, as an adult, all these years later, it's a happy thing to be able to look in the mirror and have a clear face. But when I was a teenager and a kid, it was really, really bad, and it really affected my self-esteem. And I took medication, I took antibiotics, I took creams. You know, you see the celebrities on TV on those info commercials selling those creams. I bought those, you know, and I took different antibiotics, and nothing ever really worked. And that went on for years. And uh, it wasn't just how it looked, but it hurt, you know. When you've got a really bad acne problem, your face hurts. You smile a certain way, you can feel the pain of it, and it's hard not to touch it. And then it spreads. And one day a doctor told me that um, the reason why external treatments didn't really work is because there was something internal going on that I had. I think he said an overproductive uh, sebaceous gland. In other words, my body was producing lots of oil. I just had really oily skin. It was something internal. It was something that had to do with my chemistry, my body chemistry. And it's, I struggled for years until one day I found out about a medication that actually changed the chemistry of your body and caused you to stop producing all of the oil. And when I took that medication, it went on for months, it was about $1,200 a pill. And it was hard because I was on an HMO and it was hard to get a doctor to prescribe it because it was expensive. It was about $1,200 a pill. It dried your body out really bad. But once it was done, I had heard testimonials and stories, you would be clear forever. And I couldn't believe it. And so I got the doctor to prescribe it, finally after some wrangling and arm twisting. And I took it, and it went on for, I took it for several months. It dried you out really bad. But when it was over, I was cleared of acne. I never had another acne problem again. In fact, if you want to know what it is, come up to me after service and I'll tell you. But I never had another acne problem after that again. But before I was kind of cured of the problem, I remember um, kind of going about my day, and the hardest part of every single day was looking in the mirror. That was the hardest part of every day because it reminded me it was this reflection back of this problem that I could not fix no matter what I did. Well, the law is like a mirror. The law was like a mirror to the children of Israel, reminding them of their sins. It reminded them of their sins. It was, it was, uh, it was meant to help them, but what it, did is, what, it, what it did is it increased the sinfulness of their sins if you can put it that way. The law reflected back to them their sinful state. The fact that they had trouble approaching God. In fact, the sacrifices that were practiced by the priests also reflected to them their sinfulness. Because if they weren't sinners and they didn't keep on sinning, they wouldn't need the sacrifices going on. So the law and the sacrifices was this mirror reflecting back to the people their sinfulness. And sin does many things. But most of all, what sin does to us is it defiles us. In the eyes of God, sin makes us impure, unclean, and filthy. And the problem with all of that is that God 
God is clean, pure, brilliantly white, utterly without stain, without spot, without blemish, not the slightest impurity is allowed into God's presence. That's how utterly pure and clean he is. So you see the dilemma. Sin makes it so that we cannot come near to God because God is clean. God is holy. God is pure. Well, if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you know that Leviticus, the fourth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third, excuse me, the book of Leviticus is all about how to make people clean, at least ostensibly. Through sacrifice, and there were primarily two categories of sacrifice. There was a sacrifice to atone for sin, and then there was a sacrifice to cleanse from sin's defilement. One made atonement, and one cleansed. And all of these sacrifices took place in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent of meeting between God and the priests. The tabernacle, where the sacrifices took place, was a tent of meeting between God and the priests, and the priests met with God on behalf of the people. And in Leviticus, God instructs Moses how to build the tabernacle where all of these sacrifices were to be carried out. The design of the tabernacle was very deliberate. God said to Moses, I want you to make things exactly like I show you. And so inside was the Holy of Holies, where there was the Ark of the Covenant, and just outside of the Holy of Holies was a room called the Holy Place, and in it were all sorts of furniture. There was an altar of incense, a table for the showbread, ten lampstands, two decorative pillars with chains and bowls, a lot of work went on inside that temple. And the men inside that place were very busy. Every morning and every evening offering sacrifices every single day. But in all of its furnishings, the tabernacle had one thing that was conspicuously missing. A piece of furniture, perhaps, that had been forgotten. In all of the ornate furnishings of the tabernacle, in all of its grandeur and opulence and transcendent imagery of its furniture, there was one thing that was missing. There was no place on which to sit down. And the reason was clear. The message was loud. The message was obvious. The work of the priest was never done. And so, in verse 11 of Hebrews 10, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. All of the priest's offerings, um, everything that he offered to God daily as he ministered in the tabernacle, all of his efforts could not cleanse even one single person from one single sin. You might ask, then why do it? Why all of the countless sacrifices day in and day out, every morning, every evening, 
year after year, century after century. Why engage in this relentless drama? Because of what all of those sacrifices pointed to. All of that shed blood, all of that sacrifice, all of that offering to God to atone for sin and to purify from the sin's defilement, all of it pointed to the coming of a son, the son of God, who would serve as both the priest and the sacrifice. All that countless slaughter to demonstrate the seriousness of sin. With our modern minds, we kind of anachronistically think, well, that's, that doesn't make sense. That's kind of cruel for those animals, don't you think? And it was not nice, you know, for all those animals to die, but the message to the people was, this is how serious your sins are. My sins are. Sin is abominable in the sight of God. Sin makes us Filthy sin is so serious that the only way to atone for sin is that something has to die and blood has to be shed. It wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't as if there were many options. The only way to convey the seriousness of sin and to atone for sin was that blood had to be shed. And all that shed blood over all those centuries, even though they could not totally cleanse someone from sin, they all pointed to an ultimate supreme sacrifice that a high priest would offer Jesus the sacrifice of himself. Because of who he was, the perfect Lamb of God, the radiance and the brilliance of God, according to Hebrews 1, the fullness of deity in perfect humanity, he could utter from the cross words that had never been uttered before by a priest. It is finished. Every single day, morning in, morning and mor- you know, day in and day out, morning and evening, the priest could never utter those words because his work was never done, because people kept on sinning and the sacrifices could not cleanse them. But when Jesus Christ came, as the perfect high priest who would live forever, offering the perfect atoning sacrifice, which would perfectly cleanse the people from sin, he uttered those words, it is finished. And after that, after that, he was buried in the tomb for three days and raised from the dead and ascended into the real Holy of Holies. See, the tabernacle was just a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. When God gave Moses the instructions, he said, this is how you build it. It's a replica of the tabernacle in heaven. And so when Jesus shed his own blood as the perfect atoning sacrifice, as a priest, a high priest for the people, died, raised three days later, went up into heaven, and for the holy, before the Holy of Holies offered his blood. And then what did he do? For the first time in the history of redemption, a priest sat down. Jesus sat down at the right hand 
of the majesty on high. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews is concerned with this idea. This is what the whole book of Hebrews is about. It's the whole point of the gospel that we preach. Hebrews 1 and 3, it was up on the screen in the, during one of our songs, during a, uh, an interlude between the lyrics. And it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high for the first time ever. The, the sacrificial system started in the wilderness with Moses and it lasted 14 centuries. The entire length of the history of the nation of Israel, 14 centuries, 1,400 years, the priests ministered and they stood every single day And for the first time, a sacrifice was truly accepted. Truly purified God's people from their sins. And for the first time, a priest sat down. Hebrews 10, 12 tells us, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, it says it again here, He sat down at the right hand of God. We often talk about Jesus being on the throne. You know, Jesus reigning. He's sitting down in heaven because he accomplished the work his Father gave him to accomplish. The blood that Jesus shed was a perfect atoning sacrifice, which means you and I are truly purified by the blood of Jesus Christ from our sins. Never before possible up until that time. And Scripture tells us that now, like the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies, sprinkling the, blood, the, the ashes of the heifer and dipping the hyssop leaf into the blood, sprinkling it on the altar, that we are now purified by the sprinkling of His blood. We're made pure in God's sight. Our sins are cleansed. They're made pure in God's sight because of the blood of Jesus. And the reason that all of this matters is because if you are trusting in anything else, your achievements, your accomplishments, how good of a person you are, you're on shifting sand. You're on shaky ground. If your trust is in anything else but the shed blood of Jesus. And the flip side of that is if your confidence is robbed because you're not worthy, your feelings of guilt don't match the facts of your forgiveness, you have to tell yourself and remind yourself Jesus is my great high priest who offered himself without spot to God and now intercedes for me in heaven. Jesus now pleads my case. Some of you know my son uh, at the end of last year, is actually last summer, 
lives in Chattanooga, goes to college down there, and got out of school, and he had an internship in Chattanooga, and his girlfriend had an internship in Washington, D.C. at a church. And he missed her and wanted to go visit her and borrowed a car, took her younger sister with her, with him, and drove up to D.C. And he's like nine to ten hours into the trip, and he gets impatient. He's like an hour outside of D.C. going through Virginia. And he passes someone on the freeway and gets clocked doing 96. And um, in that county, they, they're really tough on speeding. And uh, I was, you know, disappointed and angry. And I had to remind myself, you know, he's 18. And we found out quickly that they're really serious about speeding over 90. They give you a day in jail for every mile over 90, and then some. And I called the prosecutor, the, it was like the local prosecutor, and I said, hey, uh, what are we looking at here? And she just said, sir, in a Virginia accent, you need to get an attorney. And I don't know that we had ever hired an attorney before. And I called around, and they were really expensive, and we found somebody who like, we could tell knew what he was talking about, he knew the way these things went, and he said, I'm going to go before the judge, but here's all the range of possibilities. Now, my son said, Dad, what happens if I go on my own? And I said, well, son, by law, you can do that, but from everything I've found out, it probably will not go well for you. And so we hired a lawyer, still paying the credit card off from that. But that lawyer mediated for my son and our family. That lawyer knew the judge, and that lawyer knew the stakes. That lawyer went before the local magistrate on our behalf and fixed it. That was a fine to pay, but my son didn't have to go to jail. And I made him pay part of that fine, you know, so he could feel the sting of it. But... That lawyer interceded for us. He was an intercessor. He was an advocate for us, for my son. And I don't know what we would have done without him. And in the same way, Jesus is our mediator before God. In fact, we're told in Hebrews, Hebrews 7.24, that Jesus lives forever, and he has a permanent high priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, the idea was that the high priests in the Old Testament, they died. Their high priesthood came to an end, and they had to be replaced by another priest, and that cycle went on over and over and over and over again. And they themselves were sinners. But now we have a high priest, a mediator, who sits in the presence of God in heaven, applying his shed blood, a perfect once-for-all sacrifice, perpetually for us. He lives forever now to make intercession on our behalf. I mean, that'd be like a lawyer on retainer, you know, day and night sleeping before the judge's bench. That's what Jesus is. 
He is our high priest forever. He lives to make intercession for us. Our confidence is built on that. And the reason why we have to talk about the death of Christ is because it seems that at the heart of our problems of assurance, and this is something each one of us struggle with, we can hear the claims of of God's love for us in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, but we struggle with assurance. In fact, if there's one thing that we as Christians struggle with, it's probably the idea, does God really love me? And we know what the Bible says, we know what we're supposed to say, but, when, but because each one of us truly knows our own heart, it can be hard to assure ourselves, no, yes, God does love me. God accepts me. That can be hard. And you can wrestle and struggle with feelings of guilt and confidence and assurance of your salvation. And when we have this wrestling and this struggle of assurance and confidence, it's necessary to re-examine the death of Jesus Christ. It means that we shouldn't make the mistake of trusting in ourselves or anything else except Jesus Christ. We'll say, well, Christianity is such an exclusive message. You know? I like inclusion. Yeah, we all like inclusion. But Christianity is not a religion that wants to tell everyone you're going to burn in hell because you're not a Christian. That's kind of not the point. The point is that the only thing that can make purification for our sins is the shed blood of Jesus. It's not about excluding people. It's not about saying, you're not like me, you're not in the club. You're not going to heaven. It's about the recognition that Hebrews makes right here. That the only thing that can truly remedy, it's talking, I opened our sermon talking about a remedy for my problem. The only thing that can truly remedy our sin problem, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else can do it, is the blood of Jesus Christ. The shed blood of Jesus is perfect once for all sacrifice. And if you get that, you've got the gospel. If you grab a hold of that, the blood that Jesus shed was for me and my salvation, for people that we belong to, for his church, and I'm saved because of that. My faith and my confidence and my trust is in that you have the gospel. If you think Jesus is just a, a great teacher, a good man, a nice example, you don't have the gospel. At least you don't understand the gospel. When I um, grew up, some of you know I, I grew up in an African-American church and we would sing gospel in fact, every morning was a gospel concert. And one of the songs we used to sing was a song, a gospel song by Andre Crouch. And it says, The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. 
I've got the melody in the back of my head. My wife's over there humming the words. It soothes my doubts and it calms my fears and it dries all of my tears. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. Jesus lives forever before the throne of God interceding for us. If you aren't resting and trusting in the blood of Jesus, you're on sinking sand. And maybe you've come to this church for a while and you've never really heard it like that before. Maybe you've never known why it is that Jesus can be the only way to salvation, but that's the reason why. If you trust in what Jesus did on the cross, if you trust and believe that that sacrifice is sufficient for your justification, your sanctification, your being made right with God, you not only have the gospel, but you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. You have salvation. You can come to Jesus this morning, right where you're at, if you accept that. Let's pray. Lord, we boldly come to you trusting in your sacrifice. Lord, as we talk about the ascension we recognize that the goal of that sacrifice was to offer purification for sins before the Holy of Holies in heaven. To make us pure by cleansing us with your blood from our sins. The sins that defile us, that make us filthy and impure before a holy and clean God. We are made clean only by the blood of Jesus, only by his perfect sacrifice, and only because he is our high priest who will never die again. And now we stand purified. We stand justified, sanctified, and one day we'll be glorified. Since we have this great high priest, who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, Lord, help us to hold fast to our confession of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.